You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thank you for joining us this week as we continue our teaching series on the book of Revelation. Welcome to Real Life Pullman Prom. I hope you guys are ready to dance, right? Uh, I was told once in a while this happens where we get uh, extra decor, so this is new to me, but it's quite pretty. So uh, first service, we didn't have time to dance because you all were coming, but maybe afterwards, find the one you love, and uh, we'll throw on some slow music, and you can dance your way out of here today, all right? Hey, uh, before we get started, I know they say it in there, but the connection cards, I just want to give you a quick little reminder for me, um, just to make sure you guys know that uh, all of us as a staff here in Pullman, we actually meet together every Monday morning and we go through the connection cards together and we pray for the prayer requests that you guys turn in. It also helps us kind of know who's here and who's missing and that sort of thing. So um, you don't have to fill one out, but we love it when you do. And I, I mentioned first service and I'll mention here, not only just turn in prayer requests, because for us as a staff, we frequently hear about hard stuff going on in people's lives, and we are absolutely happy to pray for you and follow up with you and meet with you on that kind of stuff. But we also love to hear wins, like what's God doing in your marriage, in your finances, in your parenting and family relationships. So take a minute and and share a win with us of how God's working in your life. And when you leave, just throw them in the box in the back. Okay, so that's my connection card pep talk. All right, so how many of these went out in the mail? How many people have seen this at home, like got one in the mail? Anybody look familiar? Ooh, not nearly as many as first service. Have you got, now let me ask this again. Has anybody checked their mail in the last couple days? Right? If you're like me, I forget. Um, so if you don't have one of these, for sure, sitting in your car or on your uh, table at home, there's some right on the back table when you leave. So please grab one. Um, that's this Saturday. Um, I know you guys have heard about it, but I'm going to harp on it this last weekend because it's a super important thing for our church. This Saturday night, we are going to meet together. Everybody that calls Real Life Pullman home We're getting together down at the WSU Visitor Center. That's the newer building um, downtown at the end of downtown with the big cement WSU letters. Um, That's the one. We're all going to go there. And it doesn't say it on the card, but we are able also now to offer child care that you can RSVP. So when you sign up to say how many people are coming for dinner, if you need child care, we want to make sure that we try to do everything we can to make it easy on you, even if you have kids, to come and be a part of this event. So for those of you familiar with Pullman way more than me, this will make sense to you. I barely know what I'm explaining to you. Okay, so follow me. Child care is going to be at the old armory building where they have Sanctuary Yoga Studio. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Good, most of you do, okay? So now you all know way more than me. That's where we're going to do the, chid, the, the child care. And then so you'll be able to park in one spot, drop off your kids, get them checked in just like you do on Sunday morning, and then walk next door across the street to the visitor center and come do this event with us. So starts at 6, be there. And then all of us as a church, like you saw in the video, are going to be going to Moscow next weekend. So let me just say this. I know we saw it in the video, but I know how our brains are. Register this in your brain. No church here next Sunday. Okay, so that's sort of weird for us because this is our thing, right? So next Sunday, 
We're going to pick a service, whatever works for you. You can even go Thursday night to Moscow or to either of the Sunday morning services, whatever works best for your family. Maybe your home group all goes together, your small group goes together. But remember, next Sunday morning, if you show up here, you will have the donut Jonesen. Like, you won't find one. It won't be here. Okay? So, now... With that, let's dive back into Revelation, okay? So you all know we've been going through this series in Revelation, and this chapter, 17, is not unlike many of the chapters we've gone through in that it's full of apocalyptic uh, imagery and visions and signs and symbols, and it can be easy for us to lose sight of the real meaning in the, in the passage, in the message. And, and it can be easy for us in our culture and the environment and the world that we live in to hear about beasts with blasphemous names and red dragons and beasts rising from the sea and to kind of just go, like, check out. Like, this is sort of weird. Like, what's this all about? And today, we're gonna hopefully help bring to light the message that John was sharing for his first century readers, but also bring it to light in a way that it makes sense for us this morning, okay? The other thing we're gonna do in this passage today that can often be said of scripture at different times is we're gonna focus on what we can know and not get sidetracked with things that you could speculate about. It's really common in in Revelation especially. There are some things that maybe are not definable, definitive, for sure things we can understand. And Christians sometimes can get lost in the debates about these speculative passages or parts of the message. And what happens is we end up looking like to the outside world, to people that don't know Christ, they find people from church that have all these strong opinions about stuff in Revelation that are the parts of Revelation that are not the the meat. They're not the primary message. They're secondary things that you could speculate about and, and we just look like we're sort of arguing about things. And so today we're going to camp out on what we can know. Um, how many people remember a while back the dress on the internet? When I say that, does that resonate with you? The dress? What color was it? Ooh, a bunch. Everybody first service was gold, so you guys are totally... It's because it's actually, see, people have strong opinions, right? And it was like on national news, this goofy dress picture that showed up on Facebook. And what's funny, I kind of look at, especially how Christians look at Revelation, sort of like how people would see the dress thing. Like we can argue and argue about what color the dress is and forget that we could actually be unified and be on the same page that we all agree it's a dress, And for us as Christians, as we dig into Revelation, especially this chapter, what I want us to do is I want us to be unified and realize that there are some things in this passage that we can know and to camp out there and not get lost arguing over the color, okay? So with that, let me kind of set us up. In Revelation 17, it starts with an angel coming to John. And this angel is kind of teeing John up, telling him what's about to happen. And the angel tells him, um, hey, I'm going to take you uh, on a vision and I'm going to show you something. And I'm going to show you that there's this woman who looks like a great prostitute and she's sitting by this great sea of waters and there are a bunch of kings with her that she committed all sorts of adulteries with. Sort of a crazy image to tee things up. And then he goes on to say that he takes John away in the spirit, like in a vision to the wilderness and he shows him this vision. 
And then John, in this letter, in chapter 17, this part of Revelation, he's reporting back what he saw in that vision. Okay, so we're going to take a look at the beginning of it. Let's, let's look it up here on, uh, on the screen here. This is in your notes too. It says, uh, one of the seven angels who had seven bulls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by the many waters with her kings of the earth committed and with her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried away in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries, and the name written on her forehead was a mystery." It was Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes and the abomination of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I'll explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and the 10 horns. And he goes on to explain some of this stuff. And this is part of that passage where uh, the angel starts to talk about the kings represented by the horns and which one ruled and which one didn't and how long. And it sounds sort of like a Dr. Seuss riddle when it's translated from the original language into English. It, sort, it sounds weird. And we can get sidetracked speculating on what all those things mean and miss what we can know for sure that John's reporting back from this vision. We can know that he is talking about a woman who he describes as a prostitute, who he describes as covered with gold and jewels and glitter and pearls and very alluring to look at, and that she at appearance, looks drunk with the blood of God's people. That she's drunk on the lives of those whose witness was a testimony to Jesus. And at the end of this chapter 17, in verse 18, John makes it easy for us. He tells us who that woman represents. It says in verse 18, the woman you saw in the great city that rules over the kings, or the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. So what he's trying to say is that this prostitute that in this vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the earth, which at the time that John was writing this to the people that he was writing to were under Roman rule. And so he's giving an example or uh, using the prostitute as a, a metaphor that she represents Rome. Now, if you've been here through the Revelation series, you're kind of starting to feel probably a little bit like you're getting a dual thing going on here. You're sort of learning about what Revelation's about in the historical context of who it was written to and why it was written to them. And it's not a Nostradamus future telling letter. It's a real letter written to real people under a real set of circumstances. 
it just happens to use crazy imagery to say what he had to say, right? So you're getting this revelation lesson, but you probably are starting to feel a little bit like you're also getting a Roman history lesson. Because we've got a lot of Roman history as we've gone through this series. We've learned a lot about Domitian and about Advent and about the propaganda machine of Rome. And it's important that we understand that because that's the context that the people were living in who received this letter of revelation. So it's important that we get a little history lesson so that we can stand in their shoes and think, if I was there, how would I understand what John's writing? And so Rome is not like just some great nation. It's not like just the next big thing. Rome is more than that. Rome is actually built up so great, the image of Rome, the ideas of Rome are built up so great that they're actually talked about like a holy entity, godlike in their description. And in Roman mythology, the Roman goddess uh, Roma was the representation of the city of Rome and really a lot of times the Roman state, the whole Roman nation. And so it's why we often hear about Rome talked about like uh, a woman, like with feminine features or characteristics or described like a woman. And it's why John uses imagery in Revelation of a female prostitute to paint a picture of what Rome was like, okay? And Augustus, when he became Caesar, the ruler of Rome, he took full advantage of this whole propaganda machine, this, this godlike nation that if you weren't a part of it, nothing good could come for you. And he, he created this image for himself that led up to this godlike stature as a man, as the ruler of Rome, as the ruler of God's holy nation, like this idea. There's, there's inscriptions found in different cities in Rome that talk about Augustus as the, um, the one that was the beginning. There's things that talk about him as like the bringer of peace, the bringer of life. To give you an idea of how uh, this permeated the Roman world, Rome, as we know, conquered and conquered and conquered until to their knowledge, had conquered the whole known world at the time, was under Roman authority and Roman rule. And Augustus was the man in charge of all of that. And to give you an idea of how big of a deal it was that he presented this image that he was, he was it, he was the beginning of everything, is every city in the entire Roman Empire adopted the day, like New Year's Day, the first day of their new calendar was Augustus's birthday. So it painted this picture to everybody in Rome that he is the beginning of everything and all good things will come through Rome and through Caesar. And every year you should remember that this new year starts with Rome and starts with Caesar. That's the world that these people were living in. And John uses the image of a prostitute to, and this woman on this beast to paint a picture of Rome. And at first, it, it goes like this, like she's super beautiful to look at. 
She's appealing to the eyes, attractive. She's adorned with all this beauty and the best outfit and the finest jewels and all that stuff. And even in the vision, John catches himself marveling at this woman. And the angel has to kind of give him a, wake up, John, like snap back. Come back to me here. Why are you marveling at her? Why are you so astonished? Let me remind you what you're looking at. He says, let me remind you what you're looking at. This beautiful country, this great ruling nation that you can get sidetracked and almost worship, pay attention. It did not come at no cost. He says, it came at the cost of those who loved God. It came at the cost of those whose lives were a witness to Jesus. He's like, don't get caught marveling at how amazing she is. He's like, she carries this cup full of abominations and filth and immorality. She may look pretty on the outside, but inside she's a wretched thing, this Rome. And in Revelation, we see Satan represented by a great dragon. And we see the great dragon, through these visions John's recording, given power and authority to these beasts from the land and these beasts from the sea. And those beasts represent real things that were happening at the time in their culture. Rome, the empire of Rome, the Caesars, the economic system, the, the war machine of Rome are represented through these visions and images. And those things were real things, real ways that the enemy came against God's plan and God's people in that point in time. And as we go through this series, it's so important for us to not check out in the difficult understanding imagery and to remember that the same enemy of those Christians, of those Jesus followers, is the same enemy that's at work to come against us today. We live in a different time and place. We don't live in Rome. We don't have Caesar. We don't have to take a mark to do business. We have a different set of circumstances. And I believe that it feels a lot like Satan has unleashed his power and given authority to different things in our culture that are very effective at getting us off track getting us away from talking about God, getting us away from worshiping God, getting us away from concerning ourselves with kingdom concerns and getting us focused on things that are just unimportant. We shouldn't be surprised. The Bible says that, that Satan is the father of all lies. That he's described as a deceiver. He's really the king of the false narrative. If there's anybody that's going to spin a tale that's not true, you can bet he's the master. And man, I think that's what's going on in our culture right now. If you're to 
peel back and, and just take a snapshot, go across anywhere in the United States, pick any house in any state, in any neighborhood, in any socioeconomic uh, situation, poor, rich, race, irrelevant. You grab anybody out of any situation and you're going to hear one of these narratives. They're so powerful right now in our country. You're going to hear someone's opinion about Trump. They love him, they hate him, they can't stand him. He's the Antichrist, he's the Savior, he's the da 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 You're going to hear a Trump opinion, I guarantee you. Right now, the other thing that's really relevant, that's really, really stupid, I'll tell you how I really feel about it. But man, is it important right now. Do we stand or do we kneel for the flag, right? Do we sit in the locker room or do we come out? That is a powerful narrative in our country right now, in our homes, in our workplaces, with our friends. It is top dog discussion. You know what some other strong narratives are that the devil has been a fantastic at spinning us into caring about and talking about and being concerned with? Gender. Were we born boys or girls? Do we go to the boys' bathroom or the girls' bathroom? Or does it matter which bathroom we go to? Race. What's going on with race? Do cops like black people or not like black people? What about Asian people? What about white people? Should the Redskins have an Indian as a logo? And we just get off on all these crazy tangents. And I have to believe, and I say this, and when I say it in my head, it sounds funny, and I don't mean it to be funny, because it's real, but I, I just get this picture of the cartoon devil sitting back just grinning, just kind of laughing as he watches the world unfold. Like, you gotta be kidding me, it was that easy? Like, nobody's talking about Jesus. Like, everybody's talking about all this stuff. Because guess what happens when he can spin a false narrative and it becomes what's important to us and, and it's the thing that we talk about. Guess what happens? We start to talk about something a whole bunch. The more we talk about it, we start to really kind of develop strong opinions about it. We start to kind of get a little bit rooted in what we're talking about, right? And then we really camp out on it and it becomes something that we actually believe. We've sold it to ourselves so long and read so many things about it and heard so many little news stories and stuff about it that now we actually believe what we hear about it and what we talk about it is the thing. And guess what happens when we're really anchored in something we really believe? Guess what we're willing to do? Argue. Divide. Pick a side. Guess what is super ineffective in sharing Jesus and loving other people. He's taking a hard line on something that doesn't matter. Man, kingdom building, history, done. You're out of business when you camp out on whatever your thing is. And how good is the devil at doing that, at getting us to talk about things that are not kingdom concerns, that don't lead people to a hope and a trust in Jesus? They don't hear love, they hear strong opinion. In uh, 1 John, there's kind of a warning that goes along with this very same thing. Um, it's in your notes, it'll be up here too. Um, we'll look at it a couple of different ways. Let's look at this first one up here. I 
Almost. Keep going. There we go. He says, uh, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the message. If you know what the message is, it's just a, one guy's paraphrase of the Bible. He went through the Bible and put it in his own kind of modern English. But sometimes how he, set, how he kind of restates a scripture is really good. It's not a study Bible by any stretch, but sometimes it's good as a devotion to look at what, how it says. Let's look at what he says here. He says, practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, it has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. He goes on to say that those that concern himself with God's business, with God's plans, they're set for eternity. It can be so easy in our culture to get off track in our thinking. And the more off track we get in our thinking, it leads to our actions being off track. We don't look so loving and kind and generous anymore. We look opinionated and condemning and judgmental. It's like a slippery slope. There's a reason that Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a narrow gate. He recognized the battle that we are in and the culture we are in and the enemy we have and how easy it is to get sucked into the wide road, the easy path. He says, make sure you enter the narrow gate because the, the wide gate leads to a wide road and the direction it's going you won't like, it leads to destruction. And he says, narrow is the gate that leads to the narrow path that leads to life. And man, the devil is awesome at tweaking things in our world, tweaking our God-given desires and messing us up so that all of a sudden we find ourselves on the wide road. And I got to tell you, this, this ought to be like a gut check type thing for myself included, is that if you kind of take a stop and assess where you're at in life, who are the people around me and what are the things we all talk about? What is full on my Facebook newsfeed? What is in my social media? If I was to stop, drop, and roll and look all around me, what are the stories being told? And if there are no kingdom stories, eternity-important stories, God-loving, Jesus-sacrificing, loving stories being told, then you better take a little heed to this. You're on the wide road. It ought to be a, like a, whoa, how did I get here? And assess, where are you at? Just like Jesus told us to do. Satan is so good at deceiving those things that God put in us that are good. Like our desire for hope. God gave us this desire, this like burning part of us to hope for something better. 
the, to not be satisfied with just eking out life on earth. Like there must be something more. But the devil is so good at taking that and spinning it and pushing us to put our hope in other things that are not God. We put our hope in everything is going to work out in my life if I can just get that one house. Then things are going to be good. Or if I get just the right girlfriend or the right boyfriend, or if I get the raise or the right job. And we take something that is good that God gave us and we, we slide to the wide road and we put our hope in things of this world that are not eternal things. He takes our God-given desire for happiness. In the Bible, the, the biblical version of happy, the God-given desire is joy, right? It is like a happiness it's so hard to describe. Joy and happy sounds similar to us in our culture, but happy is like a grain of sand on an ocean of what you try to describe as joy. It's just such a tiny word to even give it credit. And the devil, like joy is a happiness that comes apart from our circumstances, no matter what's going on a satisfaction in our salvation and our love for the Father. And the devil is so great at getting us to think joy and happy are the same, and man, I'd be so much happier if I had this thing or this thing, or whether it was this vehicle or this new outfit, or if I just had the latest iPhone or the nice pair of shoes or the new house. Or the, and for young people growing up, my life's going to be so much better. I'll be so much happier when I get out of this place. Like the, the, you don't even know what will bring you happiness. You just know it's not this. He takes our God-given desire for peace and he tricks us into thinking that peace is the absence of conflict. And man, is that not true. He, he makes us take something that God gave us a desire to be at peace with each other. To be at peace with our salvation with the Lord and to know where we're going. To be at peace in our relationships. He takes that godly desire and he tricks you into thinking that it's, just, that it's all about not having conflict. And it plays out in all kinds of ugly ways. This whole tolerance thing over the last several years, or the politically correct tolerate everybody thing, that's all devil propaganda spinning pieces about no conflict. Be nice to everybody. Tolerate everything. Don't have conflict. That pours out in ugly, ugly ways in people's marriages. We don't get along. All we ever do is fight. I feel like we've tried and tried and tried and nothing seems to work. And even though I love the Lord and I know you're not supposed to get divorced, I feel like if we're ever going to have peace with God and with each other, like we'd be better if we were apart because it'd be better for both of us. And it's just avoiding conflict. It's not peace. It's not godly peace. It's just deferring consequences. There's a reason that God uses this image of a prostitute. Because she's alluring to our eyes, or a he. This thing that appeals to our flesh. 
He used that imagery for them in Rome and said, this is what Rome is like. Don't get caught. Don't get sucked into the allure and to the promise. He makes the same warnings for us today. Don't get sucked in. Don't get conned and sold a short bill of goods. There's so much more for you in Christ. But I got to tell you, as we're going through this series in Revelation, um, it's kind of heavy-duty stuff. It's kind of hard to understand. We can, we're hearing a lot of warnings and a lot of visions about crazy consequences and people dying and this stark, vivid imagery of things. And I want for us to make sure that we hear today that we do not have a God that is just a God of warnings, right? Imagine it like a dad that has a little toddler, a dad that loves his little guy, and they're out playing in the front yard, and the dad gets sidetracked on the porch doing something for a minute, and he turns around, and he sees out of the corner of his eye a car coming and the kid running, and there it's like imminent death, right? And what does dad do? He can't get there in time, so what does every dad do just instinctively? You just give the blood-curdling, stop-the-neighborhood-in-their-tracks scream, Right? And even if you weren't related to that guy, if you were the jogger on the second block, you were like, you know, like one of those where that yell, that warning stops you dead in your tracks. And as we go through Revelation, it could be easy for us to think we have a God that's the God of the stern warnings and not see that that's the same God, the same dad who walks over and grabs his toddler, pulls him up on his lap and is shaken because he's freaked out and he loves him so much. He's like, oh man, buddy, you have no idea how freaked out I was. That was a close call. I wouldn't know what to do without you. I love you so much. That we have a God that loves us so much. This is going to bring us to our time of communion this morning. So if the servers will pass out the trays. We have an open table at Real Life. And so all that means when we have communion is that if you love Jesus and you would love to remember with us what he did for us, then uh, we would love for you to take communion with us. So when they bring the elements around, if you would just grab them and hang on to them. And then in a few minutes, we'll take communion together. Okay. Um, it's so important for us to hear that not only did Jesus come to pay the price for our sin and to conquer death once and for all, and not only do we have a God that loves us enough to give us strong warnings to help us not fall off the path, to not step out into danger, but that we have a God that did not abandon us here to figure this out on our own. That we have a God who gave us his word. And the psalmist said that the Bible is like a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. With God's word, we can see where we're going. Thanks. And not only did he give us God's word, but as Jesus sacrificially went to the cross, and conquered sin and death, he also made a way for something even greater than him on earth. He made a way 
for God to send his spirit to be with each and every one of us so that we can have what the Bible describes as a comforter, a helper, an encourager, a teacher, right with us every minute of every day. So yes, Revelation is some hard stuff. Yes, those people in Rome that he was writing to were being persecuted and their lives were being sacrificed and it was a horrible, difficult time to be a Christian. And yet they persevered. And because of their perseverance and their faith in Christ, we have the words to live by that we have in the Bible today. We know about a God and we know about Christ because of their perseverance. John recognized the significance of that call to endure, to persevere, to stick it out. That's why we remind you as we go through this series, for us, we live in a different time. We don't have a Caesar over, over us. We live in a different world than Rome, but don't be deceived. We have an enemy. But we also have a God that loves us and will walk with us through this life. So as we take communion this morning, I, I hope that we, would, um, that we would take it with a smile. A lot of times we can come to communion, and rightly so, it's a kind of a sovereign, holy moment where we feel very connected to what Jesus did for us, and, and that's reverent and right. But I, I just think that as, as we've been going through this Revelation series, it's kind of heavy-duty stuff to understand, and heavy-duty warnings, and harsh, and you, we can start to kind of forget a little bit about how loving our Father is and how much he cares for us and the, the length he went to to make sure that we have help to do this here on this earth. So let's not only remember that Jesus died on the cross for us, but let's remember that he sent a helper. Amen. To be with us, to help guide our every step. And so when Jesus met with his guys, he broke bread and he blessed it, and he told them to take it and eat, that, to remember that this was his body sacrificed for them. Let's eat. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he told them that this was the, to represent his blood, the blood of the new covenant, to take it and drink. As they come up to lead us in this uh, time of worship here at the end, I would just say this, will you... Uh, we just take a second and maybe just talk to God. Tell him thanks for sending the Holy Spirit. Thanks for not being left alone to figure this out. Thanks for his word. God knows right where you're at, right what's going on in your life. He knows the situations you're in, the circumstances in your work, in your marriage, in your relationships, whatever you're going through. And would you just take a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to give you help and encouragement and guidance and as you talk to the Lord about that, when you're ready, just get up and join us in this song as we close. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.